All right, Renaissance, we are looking at the scripture. We are going to read our scripture this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. 2 Timothy, if you do have a Bible, I would love for you to get it out and follow along with us in God's great love letter to us. But if not, it will be up on the screen. I'm Aswan. I'm one of the pastors here for all of our visitors. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture, in verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. What's going on, Renaissance? Hey, so in the 1960s, there was this guy named Robert Rosenthal, and uh, he did an experiment in San Francisco. Uh, he wanted to see if you can change a kid's future just by the way you talk to him. So he uh, was a psychologist, and he told uh, these teachers that, hey, I have this test that is able to predict which kids that you have that are going to be geniuses. And it's a brand new test from Harvard, and people will believe anything if you put Harvard on it. Right, and he, he gave uh, these, this test out to these kids, and uh, he got all the, the tests back, and he didn't even grade it. He basically just randomly selected like five kids and told the teachers, yo, these couple of kids are going to be geniuses. And his goal, his hunch, his assertion was that uh, he thought that those kids, just because they were told they were going to be geniuses, just because they would be uh, treated differently as geniuses, that these kids would outperform everybody else. And he followed these kids for the next couple of years, and as he followed them, uh, the way that these teachers spoke to these children was way different than they spoke to other children. Uh, when those kids uh, were slow to get something, the teachers gave them more affirmation. They would smile, and they would nod, and they would push them like, no, 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 you can get it, you can do this. And unsurprisingly, these kids, which were told they were going to be geniuses, and, which were, and the teachers were told they were going to be geniuses, these kids started to outperform everybody in the class. Now, the opposite was true. The kids that were told they were not going to be geniuses, how would you love it, first of all, if they did this experiment with your kids? Like, your kid, your kid's going to be an idiot. Sorry about that. <laughs> but the kids that were told that they were really not that good and they weren't going to amount to anything, uh, those kids were the quickest ones to get frustrated. They would give up quicker than anybody else. Uh, and unsurprisingly, those kids as well didn't do well. They didn't measure up. Now, here was the difference. Both of these kids, all these, both of these groups were the exact same, same neighborhood, same family life, but the only difference is the way that these children were spoken to. Now, uh, Rosenthal discovered something in this experiment, something that we see in Scripture, in Proverbs, uh, where Solomon says it like this, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So you eat the fruits of the words that you hear. You will grow, you will move in what you ingest. And in this story of Robert Rosenthal and in this short proverb, we discover some things about words. Number one, words are powerful. They leave marks on us. They move us in, in, in a different direction. That's the second thing we see. Words never just leave us where we are. Words move us in one direction 
or another. Words that build us up push us towards greatness, push us towards good things, but words that are unnecessarily critical for no reason, they drag us down. They make us look at ourselves in, in negative lights. Now, here's, here's the thing. God intends that his word for you would be powerful in your life. Jesus intends that his words uh, to you, that they would move you in a direction. God intends that his words for you, his words for your life, would shape every single aspect of your world. That your life would be guided not by just culture, not by what your friends say, not by your fears, not by your childhood, but your life would be guided by Scripture. So we're in this series called The Words of Life, and we're looking at the Bible and the role of Scripture in our lives because we believe the words of God are powerful and that they can move our lives in a way toward God, and that God wants you to be shaped and God wants me to be shaped by his words. And God's words have the unique ability to give us exactly what our souls require. Now, if you guys are following all along with our reading plan, shout out to everybody that's going through John with us. Uh, yesterday was John 6, and in John 6, 63, Jesus has this amazing quote about what God's word can do for our lives. He says, the spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing, but the words that I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. And Jesus says that the words that we hear from God, these are the words that are spirit and they push us towards God. They are life to our hearts and to our souls. Now, I've um, been a pastor for a number of years, and I've been talking to so many people, uh, and so often when I talk to somebody who says, man, I just don't feel close to God. I feel like me and God are nowhere near each other. I feel like God is so far from me. Uh, not all the time, but oftentimes I ask them, hey, what's your Bible reading life like? And most of the time, for one reason or another, uh, it's usually non-existent. And here's what's usually the case, that those people are being moved by words that are not God's words for them, that they have been being moved, and because all words are powerful, all words have the power to move us in one direction or another, and they haven't been in a steady rhythm where they are being moved by the words of God, by the heart of God for us, by the thoughts of God for us. And our, our goal in this series is, is really clear. I'll wear my heart on my sleeve. Our goal is that, um, listen, not that you guys would end uh, in a couple of weeks and have a PhD in theology or you'd be able to argue with crazy people on the train about the finer points of the New Testament. But our goal is that you would start to become a person that can incorporate Scripture, the thoughts of God, the, the heart of God for you into a regular rhythm in your life. Now, I know people in here are from all different backgrounds, and sometimes uh, a bunch of you guys, a lot of you guys, you're brand new to church, and you're brand new to, to reading the Bible, and man, shout out to you, because listen, Philippians 2.13 tells us something that's pretty amazing. Uh, it says that it is God working in us to both desire and both to do his good works. So if you're just here today, and you're like, yo, I haven't done anything, but I just feel this desire in me to, to read more, or to grow closer to God, listen, that's God working into you to put that desire in you from the first place. But our hearts, uh, our, our souls are constructed in such a way. Uh, we have been built in such a way by God himself that our souls require more than what other people can give us. We need these direct thoughts of God himself. Jesus says it as much in Matthew 4. Uh, he says, uh, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Now, we can't make it just on regular food. Uh, we can't make it just on fellowship, but we need the, thoughts, uh, the direct thoughts of God himself. Now, listen, I know how difficult it is uh, to be in a rhythm reading scripture for a lot of different reasons. Um, I, I, I worked a job before I was a pastor, and I did 50, 60, 70-hour weeks 
Uh, and I know what it feels like to feel like, yo, the last thing I have time for is to read scripture. Um, and I'm not just coming to you as a pastor who gets paid to read the Bible saying, God, man, it's, it's easy for me. You should do it too. <laughs> hey, but I understand one of the big reasons that's so difficult for us is we're too busy, right? We have so many things that are demanding our time. And man, forget it. If you've got kids, small kids, listen, good luck. Good luck. But I get it. But uh, listen, even if you're so busy, we have so many different things on our plates. Listen, God intends for you to be moved and impacted by his words. And the first thing I would do is reevaluate your schedule and what is making you so busy that we can't squeeze in the word of God in our lives. And the second reason is you don't understand it, right? You're like, listen, anybody ever try this technique? Like you just drop the Bible on your bed and wherever it lands, that's the word of God for today, right? It's like, all right, lamentations. All right, lamentations it is. And you read like three verses and you're like, oh, I don't know about that. Hey, if that's you, uh, if you're doing the Bible, you feel like approach to, to scripture reading, I, or if you are uh, still kind of not in a place where you feel like it's a good rhythm for you, man, January 30th is going to be such a huge thing for our community. Man, if I were you, I would move everything. I would change plans. I would move stuff around to make sure that I'm there. I think we have slots left. Um, we may still have one or two free slots left. And if you can't afford it, shoot me an email and we'll squeeze you in. Uh, but I would not miss this class for anything if I were you. And the third reason is where we're going to land today. Uh, the third reason is, is one of the bigger reasons that I find in communication and conversations uh, with people is that is this. A lot of us don't really trust uh, that this really makes sense for us to do as a daily part of our daily rhythm. We don't really feel like, uh, we don't really feel the urge to do it. We're getting along kind of fine without it. Uh, our lives are not miserable uh, in and of themselves, and we don't really trust that this is something that is so necessary and vital for our lives. Some of us don't trust it because you have questions. Your freshman English professor uh, said something about the Bible, and you haven't really trusted it ever since. Or some of you guys have valid objections to, uh, to the Bible because of how some people have used it. Uh, but before you throw the baby out with the bathwater, I want to encourage you and, and challenge you to kind of keep an open mind for the rest of today. Think about it like this. Uh, one of my good friends, Tripp, I can call you a good friend, Tripp, right? Am I, am I making that up? Are you? All right, here we go. He's a good friend. <laughs> yeah, just for today. <laughs> for today and today alone, we are good friends. So Tripp is in my community group, and uh, he was telling a story once about, um, you know, going to the dentist, and he, he started the story in a smug way, talking about, I don't have any cavities. And they, they've, like, built the Underground Railroad on my teeth. I got so many cavities. <laughs> So he says he has no cavities, and uh, he was like, but he went to this dentist that he got a group on for, and the dentist was like, yeah, mistake number one. So he gets a group on for a dentist, and unsurprisingly, the dentist is like, yo, hey, man, you have three cavities. He's like, three cavities? Like, how in the world? I've never had any, and now I have three. And he was going out of town the next day for like uh, months and months, and uh, he's like, man, can I just like wait a couple of months before I get these cavities filled? And he was you know, flustered and all sort of stuff, and the dentist says, fine, 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 you can wait. He comes back from overseas, and he sits back in another dentist chair and says, hey, yeah, I got three cavities. Dentist, not a group on dentists, I don't think, looks at his uh, x-rays and says, you don't have any cavities. See, that group on dentist was willing to drill into his mouth uh, just to make a quick buck. Now, what if I told you, you know what, I don't believe in dentists anymore. 
let's just throw dentist, dentistry, the entire science uh, out of it. A lot of you guys will have the snaggletooth syndrome and you'd be lo walking around looking crazy with, uh, without dentists. We need dentists in our society, even if there are people, dentists, that use dentistry in a bad way, right? We need dentists. We need people to, to, to be able to do things like root canals. We need dentists to, to take care of our oral health because they are a huge part of our lives. Uh, and nobody likes going to the dentist, of course. But listen, if we took them out, man, this, it would be a pretty terrible place to live. We'd go back to the Old West just yanking people's teeth out. Now, a lot of you guys, some of you guys have had negative encounters with Christians who've used Scripture in one way or another abusively. Uh, they've demonized or unnecessarily put one people group on an island by themselves, and they haven't uh, followed this narrative arc of all of Scripture, which goes in four acts, that there was a creation that God created us and that mankind fell, all of mankind. Well, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory is what it says. But then there was a Redeemer that was coming in Jesus, and that Jesus, that Redeemer comes to save the world, and he's coming to restore all things. Now, even if people have used it incorrectly in your lives, I, I would encourage you not to throw uh, the baby out with the bathwater because some crazy preacher said some things, or somebody on TV, or somebody with a lot of YouTube hits, or somebody with a lot of Twitter followers uses the Bibles in, in some really crazy ways. Listen, don't throw away just because of some negative experiences. Now, a lot of us don't trust Scripture for a much more subtle reason, but it's a, a really dangerous one as well. Um, you really don't feel like you need it for yourself. You really don't feel like it's an urgent thing for you. You really don't feel like it's something that you kind of need to have. And uh, we come to this scripture in 2 Timothy, which um, to me is a very sobering scripture. I'm gonna, it's a short one, so I'm going to reread it for you. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know those who, uh, from whom you have learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, in the scripture written by Paul, and Paul is a dude who wrote like two-thirds of the New Testament, uh, Paul was a guy who hated Christianity and hated Christians uh, so much so, and then one day, uh, God met Paul in a really powerful way, and Paul turned from hating Christians to becoming a, a Christian himself. And this is what he's writing about Scripture. And he, he uses one of the biggest and best sentences in uh, all of the Bible, one of my favorite ones we're going to unpack today. He says this, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful. All Scripture has its origin, not in the minds of man. All Scripture has its origins, not in the hearts of man, uh, but in God himself. That from eternity, God had intended to communicate to us, and that uh, God's intentions to communicate uh, to us, that God used people, and God uh, used men and women to communicate truths to us, his story to us uh, in, over the years. And not just only that it's uh, God breathe. Um, and if you do any serious study of Scripture, and we're going to do a lot of this on January 30th, we're not going to get too deep into it today. Uh, but man, the Bible is one of the most unique, if not the most unique book on earth. It's not one book written by one author from start to end. It's 66 books written by 40 authors. And all 40 of these authors, instead of going all over the place, they're all telling the same story of redemption. That there was a creation, there was fall, and his uh, redemption and restoration is coming. 
And not all 40 of these authors, they're different people. Some of them were statesmen like Daniel. Some of them were kings like David and Solomon. Some of them uh, were farmers. Some of them uh, were, were fishermen. Some of them were They all scholars like Paul. But all of these people from all these different backgrounds written over 1,500 years, they all tell the same story, that there is one coming, the Messiah in Jesus Christ, that there is one coming to, uh, to bridge the gap, to make us good with God again. Now, you know, God's story just isn't inspired by him. It's also useful for us, and this is where we're going to land uh, today. It's useful for us. And had we read it, a lot of our lives, and had we read it and really put this stuff into practice, a lot of our lives would look very different today. A lot of us would spend our money differently. We would definitely date differently. You definitely wouldn't have dated half of those people you dated. 75% actually would be... And it's because of this. Listen, God intends for us uh, to be impacted, to be moved by his word. And a lot of us, we're not being impacted because we don't necessarily see uh, the use in it. We don't see it useful for our lives. Now, my wife has only been wrong two times in the entire time that I've known her. And I love, love, love uh, reminding her of these two times because I'm wrong like 97% of the time and she's only been wrong twice. Uh, and, and one of these times came when we were moving, and uh, whenever you're moving, right, you're moving, and you, think, you never think you have that much stuff. You're like, oh, all I have to do is clean out this one little closet full of, you know, some, a couple of things in there. And before you know it, you realize how colossal, how much stuff that you've actually collected, and you start to wonder whether or not you're a hoarder. Like, man, I didn't even know. I got peanut butter from like six years ago and that. And uh, before we moved into a different apartment, uh, we decided, like, yeah, we got to clean up some stuff. Um, and, I, you know, we were taking stuff apart to be moved to the new place. And uh, my wife walked past a TV stand that I took apart, and she looks up at a piece, and she took it, and she threw it away. We get to the uh, new apartment, and I'm, like, you know, looking for the TV stand and can't find this one piece. And I, I was like, I turned to her, and I knew it. She had made a mistake. Jessica the perfect is not uh, quite as perfect as, uh, uh, as I thought she was. And man, I gave her a hard time. I gave her really, I was like, I can't believe you. I cannot believe you. I don't even know who you are anymore. You are something else. She walked past uh, this little piece for the TV stand. And listen, she threw it away because she didn't think it was useful. Of the closet full of stuff that all did need to be throw away, th thrown away. She didn't see this one little piece as useful, and it was really useful. We ended up having to buy a brand new TV stand, and I was right, again. But uh, <laughs> you're going to hear that story like every week. I don't have any other stories of her being. <laughs> hey, a lot of us have thrown away scripture as a daily part of our lives because we don't see its use. A lot of us have just discarded it as something that we could ever really get into because we don't see it as useful. It's not something that, to us, uh, even is a necessary thing in our lives. So we've looked at it, and we've looked at it from a distance and said, you know what, I don't think this is a necessary thing for our lives. And, and that's a scary, scary thing, because if you're not being moved by God and his words for you, you are being moved by something else. We don't have a choice whether or not we are moved by words, but we do have a choice of what words will move us. What words will impact us? And listen, our souls, we mentioned this last week, our souls require more than what other people can give us. We need the direct thoughts of God himself. And listen, we will be moved by words, whether you like it or not. And God wants you, God wants me to be moved by his words for us.
So we see this scripture of uh, 2 Timothy, and uh, I ask myself, hey, what would my life look like, and what would your life look like if we were being led by God, if we were being trained and, and instructed uh, and equipped and encouraged and, and led by God? I don't think you have to run too far in scripture, but to see the life of Jesus. And I'm just going to be real with you guys. I got three big reasons why I, I really, really trust scripture. And, you know, again, we'll get into some more detailed stuff on the 30th, but listen, Three big, big reasons why I really trust uh, Scripture, and the biggest one from the outset is this. I believe in Scripture, and I really trust it, and I really think that it's useful for me because Jesus was consistently, thoroughly, and, and emphatically engaged in Scripture. Number one reason, we'll, we can get to, you know, the language, breaking it down, was it written in Aramaic or Greek, or who wrote this, and who's the true author? Listen, listen, listen. The number one reason I believe in it, and I think the number one reason you should trust in Scripture and think that it's useful for your life, is because Jesus was consistently, thoroughly, and emphatically engaged in Scripture. Now, you may have heard somebody say, or you may have said this yourself, that, hey, I, I trust Jesus, but I don't trust anybody else in the Bible, right? You heard anybody say that before? I trust Jesus, and, you know, I'm good with him. Me and Jesus are cool, but I don't trust anybody else in Scripture. And here, here's the problem with that logic. You can't say you trust Jesus but not other people in Scripture because Jesus trusted Scripture. Jesus' life was built. Uh, Jesus, at every single point in his life, uh, from when he was, as soon as you see Jesus hit the scene, at every point he's praying through Scripture. He's reading Scripture. He's teaching Scripture. He's affirming Scripture. It's coming out of him so often that this dude is obsessed with it, that he was emphatically uh, and routinely and consistently engaged in Scripture. And here's the thing. If you're going to say you follow Jesus, he's going to lead you in the exact same way that he himself walked. And Jesus' life was spent devoted to uh, reading and, and teaching and being nourished and being fed and having his mind informed by Scripture. To follow Jesus personally means that we trust the Bible because Jesus trusted in it. Now, you might not have all the answers on when something was written or why it was written how something played out. You don't have a time machine, a DeLorean to go back to the year, you know, 520 BC to investigate what happened or, or, or did not happen. But you do have this guy named Jesus who was really, really, really into scripture. And that the number one reason I have for myself, even when I have my doubts, even when I have my questions, I say, you know what? Jesus was really into it, man. He really thought this was useful for his life. And if I'm going to follow him, I think I have to do the same. Now, there's a story about the African Impala. Uh, the African Impala could jump 10 feet in the air, a little bit higher than I could jump during my basketball days. And, um, but in a zoo, you only need to put a three-foot fence in front of it to keep it enclosed. And here's why. Uh, because an Impala will not jump unless it could see where its, feet are, where its feet are gonna land. That even though it could easily jump over the three-foot fence, it won't jump because, because unless it can see where its feet is gonna land, it will not move. Now, a lot of us are stuck in the same place because we don't, since we don't have every single answer, since we don't have everything figured out, we won't take any steps forward because we don't know uh, where everything is going to land in our lives. And listen, to trust Jesus means that I'm going to jump regardless, and I'm going to put my faith in even if I don't know, understand everything, and even if I don't read Hebrew and Greek, I'm going to trust in it because Jesus trusted in it. When we know the source, we can trust the source. 
Now, let me give you guys two quick examples of why this is so huge uh, in the life of Jesus. Um, the first example is, uh, comes from the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, and the Garden of Gethsemane is a scene that a lot of people talk about like on Good Friday and Easter weekend. Uh, and it's a time when Jesus knew he was about to be arrested and tried uh, for a charge, and he was eventually going to be crucified. So Jesus was with Peter, and Peter was, Peter was hood, right? Peter runs. He runs to the trunk, pops a trunk, and gets a shank. Like, yeah, what's good? What's good? <laughs> and Jesus tells Peter, like, yo, Peter, you're wildin', bro. Put that away. Put the chopper away. We don't need to do all of that. And this was Jesus' reasoning for why Peter needed to put the shank away. One of the reasons, at least. He says, Peter, put that away. And his reasoning was this. If, you, if I get away, how will Scripture be fulfilled? He didn't say, Peter, put this away because I'm an advocate of nonviolence, which he is. Um, he didn't say, Peter, put this away because we're not going to get away and I have a better escape plan. He says, no, Peter, listen, put it away because if, if they don't take me, if I'm not led like a lamb to the slaughter, if this doesn't happen, how will Scripture be fulfilled? That his main concern and the most uh, critical point in his life wasn't even his safety. It was how will the Scripture be fulfilled? That Jesus knew from 1,500 years before that to the present that, there, that God, his Father, had been writing his story of redemption. And Jesus wanted to see to it that this story would go to full fruition. Listen, God... Uh, intends for us to be shaped by his word. And Jesus was really, really into scripture because he knew that God's word for us are the words of life. They're not just anecdotes. They're not just quaint little cute stories. They're not things that were manipulated back in the day to control the, the masses. Listen, these are God's words to us and they're useful for us. The second story you see um, that's, uh, to me, one of the huge uh, things is um, all throughout um, Scripture, you see that every point Jesus was quoting Scripture, and really, Jesus mentions that whatever's in a man will come out. So let me say it like this, right? Um, have you ever been somebody, around somebody who's like really, really angry, and they say something crazy? Or you've been out with somebody who's had one too many drinks of the truth serum, and then the next day they call you and try to blame it on the a a a a a alcohol, <laughs> right? And they say... Hey, man, I'm really sorry about what I said. I didn't mean it. Yes, you did. You definitely meant it. You didn't mean to say it, but you definitely meant it. And here's why, because what's in you is going to come out. Sometimes it takes an argument to get it out. Sometimes it takes some bad decisions to get it out. But either way, nothing is in, that's, uh, that's coming out of you is not already in you. You can get as, I can get as mad as I want. I, I can promise you one thing. I'm not going to start speaking German. There's no, I've never taken a class in German. I don't know the first word. I just know it sounds like a really aggressive language, right? It's not going to come out because it's not inside of me. We always mess with my sister-in-law. Uh, my sister-in-law from the Bronx. Shout out to the Bronx. Uh, Bronx is in the building, Right? She lives, in, she lives in New Rochelle now, but if you get her mad, Bronx Jasmine is going to come out. Yeah, Jazzy from the block is going is to come out. And the reason Jazzy from the block is going to come out is because that is inside of her. Deep down inside, that is who she is. 
You don't want to mess with jazz, trust me. Now listen, at every stage, at every turn of Jesus' life, when he was cut, he bled scripture. When he was on the cross, he quoted scripture. When he was uh, fearful, he prayed scripture. At every single point in Jesus' life, he taught, he prayed, he recited, he, he uh, 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 told others, he taught others the scripture. And the reason it was so much, it came out of him so much, was because it was in him so much. Listen, if it was useful for Jesus, if it was useful for the Lord and Savior, the one who is God in the flesh, if it was useful for him, listen, brothers and sisters, it is useful for us that when life throws us uh, its many darts our way, that we'd be able to handle life's uh, most challenging uh, uh, situations and circumstances because it is inside of us. God intends for his words to move you, and God intends for his words to move me, and God intends to shape us and to move us toward himself, and he uses scripture to do that. Now, the second and third reasons I have are pretty short. Um, the second reason I trust, really, I trust scripture is because it's historically accurate. Um, it's historically accurate. I remember I went to a seminary that was very liberal and didn't, um, a lot of my professors weren't even Christians. They were just experts in their field. And I remember being pretty nervous walking into Old Testament and, and New Testament thinking like, man, these professors are about to just have a field day on, on me. They're going to, I'm going to be like a pinata. Uh, and they're just going to be telling me like stuff that's going to like decimate my faith. And I remember sitting in class and leaving both of these classes um, more convicted and more um, assured that the Bible is God's word than ever before because I was waiting for like a Mike Tyson punch to the face and instead it was like the slap of a three-year-old. I was like, man, oh, that's, like, that's your argument against it? Right. Like, that's it? Oh, okay, cool, thanks. Listen, Scripture is unlike any other book in its historical accuracy. Um, a, a lot of the stuff that people say, well, it was written so many, it's a legend that people made up to control people. Listen, uh, the first book that we have uh, uh, manuscripts of, we have original manuscripts of 1 Corinthians, for example, and that was written like 15 years after Jesus died. So imagine if I tried to tell you a story about 9-11, and I said, yeah, 9-11, it was like a couple broken windows, no big deal. You would look at me like I was absolutely crazy because you were alive during 9-11. You remember the conversations about 9-11. You remember how devastated everybody was after 9-11. And the worst time to try to make up a lie about 9-11 is while people are still alive. Listen, Scripture was written. A lot of these books in the New Testament were written about Jesus' life. Uh, during the lifetime, while people were there, they could have easily refuted it. If they were making up these crazy claims that clearly didn't happen, this little movement, this little sect of Christians, they would have never taken off to be the movement that they are today. First um, Corinthians, you see um, uh, Paul say that, you know, most of them are still alive and you can go talk to them, basically. I'm paraphrasing, because people were alive. And if, listen, if, if this resurrection stuff was some crazy hoax that nobody really believed, the Christian movement would have never taken off. And I believe it because it's accurate. Um, secondly, um, you see some stuff, so much stuff in the New Testament that if it wasn't true, it's so counterproductive, you would have never put it in in the first place. And there's two examples of that. that uh, there's, there's stuff included in the New Testament and Scripture that you would never put in unless it was true. And one of them is the life and the times of the apostles. Over and over again, the leaders of the Christian movement are painted as jerks. They're like cowards, and they're making mistakes, and they're doubters. And if you want to make people want to follow you, you wouldn't talk about how you just denied Jesus. You wouldn't put that in. You wouldn't, and even more than that, 
Uh, there's stuff where um, every gospel, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, all of them talk about the first people to see Jesus after he was resurrected were women. Now, in the year, in, 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 in those days, that's the last thing you would have written if it wasn't true, because the testimony of woman was inadmissible. It was automatically discarded. So you would, if you're trying to make up a story that, to, to feed people so that they'll believe, the last thing you would put is that, hey, some woman saw it happen. The reason they put it was because it was true. They were not trying to craft a, a perfectly believable legend. They were giving us facts uh, and details about the accounts that some of them were inconvenient truths. And some people probably had a hard time believing in the resurrection because it was woman, but they put it in because it was true. Now, the third reason um, I really trust in Scripture um, is the life change I've seen, uh, not just in myself, but in other people. And this is a personal one. Uh, this one you can't um, <clears throat> uh, quantify it in, in the ways that you can do other ones and change other people. Reason, one of the reasons I really trust in it is because of the way I've seen it change my life and the way I've seen it change other people's lives. That I've seen people over the years, and I'm not talking about people who read the Bible to be able to argue and to have a whole bunch of facts, but people who have submitted their lives to Scripture in the same way that Robert Rosenthal uh, found out in his experiment that people can be moved in one direction or another by the words that are spoken to them. I've seen marriages on the brink of disaster restored by the gospel. People whose lives were headed on a speeding train in one direction, I've seen their lives turn around, and I've seen my life change and, and grow, not because of my discipline, because so many times I'm so undisciplined, not because of how smart I am or anything like that, but because God's word is powerful and it has the actual chance and it has the power to change you. And it has the power to change me. And one of the biggest reasons that I believe in, in Scripture is because when I look back over my life, when I look back over the lives of other people, I see, listen, this stuff actually works. And the, the purpose of Scripture is not to make you necessarily a, a better person. Uh, but the purpose of Scripture is to fill your life with the hope of the gospel, with the hope of God's love for you. And it's a whole lot bigger than you and what you can do on your own effort. Earlier in 2 Timothy, uh, Paul makes another statement uh, that to me has been something that I, I've chewed on and has been a phrase that has impacted me uh, almost more than anything else in all of the Bible. Uh, 2 Timothy 2 and 13, he says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. If you're faithless to God, here's the good news, he remains faithful. If you are faithless in your pursuit of God, here's the good news. He remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. In the same way, parents, you can't just drop your kid off um, at Dunkin' Donuts and never return. You can't deny your own. Listen, God cannot deny himself. He will not deny his own. So even if you're faithless in your pursuit, even if you haven't done it all right, even if you haven't made uh, every single effort that you should have made to read scripture and to get this in your life, here's the good gospel truth for you. Even if we are faithless, even if we don't make any efforts, God remains faithful. Because the gospel message isn't all about us um, figuring out a way to get good with God. It's actually the opposite uh, Tim Keller, in the way he describes it, he says, hey, we're far more sinful than we'd ever want to believe, but far more loved than we could ever imagine. And that's the gospel truth for us, my friends. And listen, God intends for this good news to shape your life. When you beat yourself up, he intends for this good news to move you toward him. He intends for this good news to shape the way that you parent. 
He intends for this good news to shape the way that you act at work. He intends this good news to inform your sense of morality and your ethics in everything that you do. God intends. He wants to speak to us, and we can put all of our weight of our faith in Scripture, all of it, all of our weight, because Jesus himself is trustworthy, and he will lead us in this direction. Let me pray for us. Uh, Heavenly Father, oftentimes uh, when we talk about things like scripture reading or something else, uh, we're reminded of um, how much better we could do, and in a lot of ways that's true. Uh, God, remind our hearts today that even if we are faithless, God, you will remain faithful. You will remain. You're not fickle like our friends. Uh, You're not um, temperamental. You don't run away easily. God, if we are yours, you will never leave us nor forsake us. You are here with us, and you are calling us to yourself. God, help us to move towards you. God, help us to hear your call to us. Help us to hear your word to us and for us. God, help us to put our confidence and faith in you. God, lead us this week. Jesus, let me pray. Amen.